How would you like to ramp up your club's game day atmosphere? Big Screen Video is giving 10 lucky sports clubs the chance to win a $10,000 grant towards their own digital scoreboard. Register now at iCanWin.com.au slash BSV. On 882 6PR, inspiring stories for Barra and O'Day, generations of excellence since 1888. Hello, my name is Tim McMillan and welcome to another episode of Inspiring Stories brought to you by Bower and O'Day, doing ordinary things extraordinarily well. In this episode, we speak to the man affectionately known as Mr Cricket. Mike Hussey, of course, I'm talking about the man who played 79 test matches for Australia, 185 one-day internationals, but was a bit late to the international crease, uh, 28 when he played his first uh, one-day international, 30 uh, when he finally got the baggy green. That, of course, after more than 15,000 uh, domestic runs. He will go down, though, as one of the most widely respected cricketers uh, in our history. Mike Hussey, Mr Cricket, welcome to the show. G'day, Tim. Yeah, thanks very much for that nice introduction. Good you're, to be here. You're welcome. <laughs> Mr Cricket, It's. I mean, there, there have been many people who have played the, the great game and played it pretty well, but you get the title of Mr Cricket. <laughs> How does that sit with you? Uh, well, I don't think I deserve it, really. Um, I... I it actually started in England. I was playing county cricket yep. um, for Durham, and we were playing against Lancashire at Old Trafford. And it was one of those cold, wet, miserable days, you know, in, in Lancashire. No one wanted to be there except for me. I was loving it. I was charging up and down the pitch and calling loudly, diving in my crease. And I was playing against Andrew Flintoff, and Andrew Flintoff, he, he turned to Brad Hodge, who was the overseas player for Lancashire, and just said, oh, this guy loves cricket more than anyone I know. He must be Mr. <laughs> cricket, you know, and, and unfortunately Brad Hodge brought it back to Australia and uh, it sort of stuck it's from stuck. there. Yeah. It's, it's, it's quite a title to, to carry around with you in cricket circles. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess you could be called a lot worse. So, um, yeah, it's a sort of thing. I came back and I sort of told the guys, I don't want to be called this, you know, don't call me this. And, and unfortunately <laughs> with nicknames, <laughs> yeah, they call you more and more. So yeah, unfortunately exactly. it stuck, yeah. I mentioned uh, just in the intro there, you were 30. When you uh, first uh, got the the call up to the international uh, arena or at, at test level, yeah. Anyway, um, was there ever a point where you thought, "Gee, this may not happen"? Oh, plenty, and and in fact, it was probably the turning point in my career because as a kid growing up, all I ever wanted to do was play test cricket for Australia. Mm. I was just desperate, and as I got into my teenage years and and got a chance to play for Western Australia, that dream was just one step away, and and. You know, you try so hard and you train so hard and you put so much pressure on yourself. You want it. You're just one step away. And, and um, I've, I probably got to a stage where I was trying so hard and too hard, putting too much pressure on myself, and it really affected my performances from WA. And, and I ended up getting dropped from the WA team. And so coming away at the end of that season, I, I thought, right, okay, well, I'm not going to play for Australia mm. now. I, you know, I might as well give up on that dream because I can't even get a game for WA at the moment. And I thought, right, I'm just going to go back to enjoying my cricket playing for WA if I can and uh, relaxing, just um, enjoying my teammates, enjoying playing a game that I love. And, and funny enough, that's when I took all that pressure that's when the off. Runs came. That's when the runs came consistently. And that's funny enough when I got picked for Australia. It just took me a long time, I guess. <laughs> so take us back to the, the Gabba, your test debut there mm. in Brisbane. Are you one of these people that has this sort of photographic encyclopedic memory of your own <laughs> performances on the field? Well... You don't need a photographic memory to uh, remember that. I was only out there for a few balls. <laughs> no, I, I remember it vividly, um, my first test. Uh, more from the emotions. Yeah. Um, you know, you mentioned it took me so long just to get one test. So 
to be actually picked in a test match for Australia, to get my baggy green cap presented by Bill Brown, who at the time was the oldest living Australian test cricketer, saying a few nice words mm. was, was really, really special. Um, and then uh, Ricky Ponning went out to do the toss uh, and we won the toss and we're batting first. And in about 25 minutes, I was going to be opening the batting for Australia mm. with Matthew Cause, Hayden. Because you, you you got the call up uh, for the, to cover the absence of Justin Langer. That's right. Is that right? Yeah, JL uh, had a broken rib. Yeah. Um, I was actually only called on to be standby uh, mm. initially. So they said, can you get up to Brisbane? And I said, yeah, I'll be there in no time. <laughs> JL, I was watching him at training, you know, launching him like a hawk, and uh, he didn't do too much in the field. Secretly hoping he wouldn't be there. <laughs> well, he was in the nets first, and, yeah. and then I was going to follow him into the nets. And so I watched him bat very closely in the nets, and he batted magnificently. He was hitting cover drives and cut shots and pull shots, and, and my heart actually sank, and I thought, yeah. oh, no, he's going to be fine. <laughs> and then um, he came out of the net. He looked me straight in the eye and said, Huss, I'm out. You're in. Good luck. And... Uh, <laughs> My head just started to spin. I can um, imagine. And I think the first five balls I faced in the nets, I got out four times. And uh, I said to myself, well, "Come on, you've got to, you've got to switch on here. You've got to concentrate. You're, you know, you're going to, um, you're going to be opening the batting for Australia in a Test match tomorrow." So uh, it didn't sleep all that well in the lead up to it. Um, but was feeling okay when Bill Brown presented my cap, and but then Ricky Ponting won the toss, and we're going to be batting uh, first. And, and that's when things really started to change. You know, the butterflies really churned in my stomach. The, uh, the, the nerves, um, the sweat started and uh, we had to come out and sing the national anthem. And about halfway through that, I, I think I lost all feeling in my legs. Um, <laughs> raced back inside to the dressing room, you know, put my pads on as quickly as I possibly could. Went to the, went to the toilet for about the 35th time and Shane Warne standing in there and just his little playboy underpants, smoking <laughs> a cigarette, you know. and uh, just, it, just being warning. Yeah. <laughs> he just said to me, he goes, Huss, I know you're nervous, but you've got nothing to prove to anyone in this room. Just go out there, play your way, and you cannot yeah. fail. Yeah. And for someone like Warney to say that to a new player coming in, it did make you, you know, feel ten feet tall. And although it didn't actually mentoring Warney style, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it didn't actually help me. You know, uh, the feeling in my legs as I walked out to bat, and, and as I said, I, I didn't handle the emotions well at all. I didn't last long. I played a, a silly pull shot, went straight up in the air, and was out for one. But. Um, you know, we won that test and, and just yeah. to be in the dressing room afterwards, you know, having a baggy green cap just, you know, it, it gave me a lot of pride. But but you did have that sort of mm. underlying feeling of, oh, I've, I've played, but you actually want to succeed at that level yeah. as well. So I was hoping for another opportunity. Did, did you question your place in the team after uh, probably not getting the performances that you were hoping for in that first test? Um, <clears throat> not really. I, I think at that stage, I was just happy just to, just to mm. play one test and to be able to stare at that baggy green cap or, mm. if I'm being honest, probably sleep with it at, at night time as well. Um, so, but, but, yeah, you did have that sort of inkling inside of to say, well, now that I'm here, I, ho- I hope it's, I get more opportunities. Yeah. I love the experience so much. Um, I want to be able to show myself and, and the world that I can actually succeed at the level as well. Because correct me if I'm wrong, you, you did a bit better in the second test that you played. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was amazing the different feel in um, emotions for me. The, yeah. You know, the Brisbane test is the first test of the summer. It's really uh, a lot of hype and a lot of emotion. Um, uh, certainly for me, there was family flying in and tickets yeah. going everywhere. Got down to Hobart for the second test and it was just so quiet and peaceful and calm. There was no attention on me personally. So I could just relax and just go and prepare as well as I possibly could. And Made a ton. And yeah, thankfully I managed to survive a couple of early little chances and, and go through and get a good score. Man of the match? Uh, right, yeah, I didn't realise. <laughs> I, I guess I was probably more nervous about keeping my place after the second test, funny enough, because Justin Langer was coming back for the yeah. third test. 
recovered from his rib injury and I thought, oh no, maybe my chance is um, going to be gone now, um, which would have been a real uh, shock, I guess, because you know after scoring 100, you, you, you want to, you mm. think you'd probably deserve to keep your place. But mm. um, that's when I had the opportunity to move down to the middle order yeah. and um, yeah, th- thankfully I got that chance. Tell us about the advice that you got from Alan Border once. <laughs> To spend a lot of time in the nets. Yeah. It's a bit embarrassing now, I guess. But I was on an Australia A tour to, uh, well, Scotland and Ireland of all places. Uh, it was a great trip. But my, my idol was Alan Border growing yeah. up as a kid. In yeah. fact, I was a right-handed batsman until I was about eight or nine years of age. Is that right? But I loved AB, so I turned around so and left-handed. Switched. Wow. But fast forward, say, yeah, um, what, 10, 10 or 12 years or something, and I'm, you know, uh, playing Australia A, and Alan Border is um, – is my coach. And I thought, wow, how good's this? And just the day before one game against Scotland, that the bat, uh, it was the day before and the batsmen just had five or 10 minutes in the nets and the bowlers would just bowl, they'd roll their arm over for a couple of overs and, mm. and then they'd get out and say, no, we want to rest for tomorrow. And AB, he, you know, being old school, he wasn't too happy with this. So he sat the whole team down and said, right, you guys, batsmen, how do you expect to learn how to bat all day when you bat for five or 10 minutes in the nets? And you bowlers, how do you expect to bowl 25 or 30 overs in a day, which you're going to have to do when you, when you play test cricket? Um, if you're only bowling the nets for 10 or 15 minutes. And it actually did strike a chord with me. Mm. Um, and, and so I came back to Perth and uh, my club team, Wanneroo, we had a bye. And so I, I got my poor coach, um, Ian Kevin, uh, out at Wanneroo and I said to him, um, come on, we're going to go on the nets and we're going to we're going to learn to bat for a day. And uh, he threw balls all day. And we, we, we did a, a pre-lunch session from 11 to 1. We had a lunch break. Then we went from 1.40 to, through to 3.40, had a tea break, and then went through to, to the end of stumps. And there was bowling machines and drills and throws. And, and uh, it was a great exercise. So I, I felt for poor old Ian Kevin. He was exhausted <laughs> by the end. But I was exhausted too. But, yeah, it was all inspired from AB. Six hours. <laughs> it's crazy now. I only did it once. <laughs> I bet. You'd be struggling to find people who go and – Throw the balls to you for yeah. six hours these days. I'm, I'm very much in debt to Ian Kevin, that's for sure. And to, and to AB. Yeah. He seems like a hard nut. Well, yeah, he is. But um, I remember the first time I ever played against him. He mm. was captain of Queensland. He'd finished playing for w, uh, Sorry for Queensland, yeah. and he wanted to win a Sheffield Shield with, yeah. with the Bulls. And uh, we were playing here at, in Perth at the Wacker. Mm. And, you know, I couldn't believe him on the same field as my idol, Alan Border. And, and the, I still remember the first words he ever spoke to me. Um, and uh, I, my shoe had blown out. So I called to the dressing room, said, can someone bring out some new shoes? And so the 12th man ran out, and as he was running out, I said to the captain of Queensland, my idol, Alan Border, I said, do you mind if I just change my shoes? Hurry up, you little bloody punk, you know? <laughs> and that was the first words my idol ever said to me, you know? He gave me a bit of a spray and about hurrying up and changing my shoes. Fantastic. Great <laughs> memories. Uh, just before we go to a break, the, the, the baggy green, you, you mentioned, you know, the ceremony that goes with the uh, presentation of the baggy green. Uh, do you know where it is now? Do you yeah. still have it sort of handy? Do you still look at it and, and pick it up? I look at it most days, actually. Um, no, I, I, when I retired from from uh, Test Cricket for Australia, um, the, the team organised this beautiful gift for me. So it was a uh, a handmade coffee table with a glass top, and, and inside there was a position for my baggy green cap to sit yep. um, with a nice plaque and, and uh, a couple of bottles of wine to sit next to it and, and a picture of my family and, and that as well. So it was a really beautiful. nice gift that um, mm. it sits in my study at the moment. And, uh, yeah, as I say, every day I, I always have a bit of a look. Fantastic. We've got to uh, head to a break now, uh, Mike, but uh, we'll be back with uh, where it all began for you, growing up in Perth, up in the northern suburbs of Perth, and how you set yourself on this path to becoming Mr. Cricket. Mike Hussey is my special guest. You're listening to WA's Inspiring Stories here on 882 6PR. You're listening to another edition of Inspiring Stories on 882 6PR for Barra and O'Day.
WA's family-owned funeral directors. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Barra and O'Day, generations of excellence since 1888. Welcome back to WA's Inspiring Stories. Tim McMillan is my name. My special guest is Mike Hussey. Mike, uh, cricket obviously has become your profession, your life, uh, your everything. Not including your family, of course, <laughs> <laughs> which we'll get to in a little bit. But at what point, you know, during growing up, did you think, all right, I'm going to make cricket my my focus, my profession? About six. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Um, probably seriously, though, I thought I'd, I'd like to have a bit of a crack at it, maybe about 16, 17 years yep. of age. I, I always loved it right from the very f- mm. you know first time I ever saw it. My, my dad actually hated cricket. But my brother and I watching it on TV and playing in the backyard, um, that they were battles in themselves, test match battles. Yeah. So that's where the, the love of the game, um, you know, started. But as far as making a career out of it, you, mm. you never even dream, um, mm. you know, we'll never even think you, you're going to be able to do it. So, uh, probably, yeah, probably I, I played a lot of squash as a kid growing up as well. Right. And I got to a sort of stage where I kind of needed to make a bit of a choice, which am I going to go to try and become a professional squash player or maybe give cricket a bit of a go. And um, my mum and dad are all big on the study side of things as well, yep. making sure there was something else behind me because, you know, um, you know, it's, it's, you never know what might happen. A broken well, they leg forked here out for private school fees, you know, up in the, the, the northern suburbs of Perth there. They probably thought, we're paying all this money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, they were just very big on having something else to fall back on. If, if it didn't go right. If it wasn't cricket, it was going to be squash. <laughs> yeah, ch- chase your dreams, but you need to have something else to fall back on. And so, yeah. What uh, that, would that, that have good. been? I, I did a interest. teaching degree. Yeah. So I'm a, I've got a Bachelor of Education, majoring yeah. in chemistry and maths, would you believe? Wow. So, yeah, maybe a science or a maths teacher, but uh, thankfully cricket turned out because... Uh, oh. So if you weren't Mr. Cricket, you would have been Mr. Hussey in the classroom. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank goodness I... I Can you ever picture through. yourself in, in this alternate reality in the classroom teaching high school chemistry? Oh, not, not now. No <laughs> I, I've, I've got four children. It's hard enough teaching those guys, let alone, uh, say, 25 or 30 kids in yeah. the classroom. Yeah. So even as you're going through the stages of university, getting your your degree, you're still obviously pretty focused on on your cricket and and, and pursuing a career in it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Cricket was pretty much front and centre at that stage. Going through those university years, probably mm. what eighteen through to twenty four, twenty five. That yeah, it was it was um, a huge focus. I was I was. Luckily, lucky enough to be in the Western Australian team at that stage. So there was a little bit of income there that was able to support my lifestyle, I guess, at that stage. And then, obviously, you're just one step away from that big dream yep. of playing for Australia. So it was, a, it was a very motivating time. It was a great time as well. You're with all your mates mm. playing a sport that you really love at a high level. And um, uh, so, yeah, I, I was loving, loving that sort of time. But mm. then also, yeah, working behind the scenes. I think a four-year degree in education, it took me about eight or nine years to get through it. But, uh, <laughs> but we got there in the end. And the I, I can just imagine epic battles in the backyard, you and Ooh. you and David. But then you see your dad wasn't into cricket. Did he? Did you manage to lure him out of the backyard to? Oh, certainly, he fell least, in love uh, with the game. Get involved as we got older, for yeah. sure. But but certainly at the start, my dad was an athletics man. Yeah, he right. wanted us to do little athletics and perhaps go to the Olympics or you know yep. something something like that. But um, no, no, cricket was always our our love. Our backyard battles. Broken put, windows. Put, put it this way, if there was a spirit of cricket in our backyard, we would have been banned for life. <laughs> there was fighting, um, there was cheating, there was bribery, uh, there was all kinds of uh, shenanigans going on and generally ended up with um, Dave not going out when he was out, yep. me chasing him around the house and him locking yep. himself in the car so he didn't get beaten up. But uh, it, probably, it probably helped our competitive spirit really at a I'm young age. I'm sure. <laughs> Any special rules? Because you've got to tailor the rules sometimes to your own backyard, don't you? 
Yeah, you know, well, my, the, the six my, and out rules and that sort of stuff. My father was very big on keeping the ball on the ground. He said you can't of get course. caught if the ball's in, you know, if the ball's on the ground. And and he'd heard of Don Bradman, you know, when he was batting, he he made a huge score and didn't hit one six or something like this. So our rule was, over the fence is out. There's no six and out. You're just out. So he wanted us to keep the ball on the ground. So that that was the big rule in our house. He must have been very disappointed when you got out trying to hook one, <laughs> pull one in your first test. Well, <laughs> I think he used to get angry at Dave because Dave certainly, he, he was more the rascal of, of the family and so he would deliberately hit the ball over yeah. the fence and, and go for big sixes in games for sure. Did you impersonate your favourite players of the time when you were playing backyard cricket? Oh, without doubt. And AB for you? Well, I was always AB, uh, that's for sure. Dave was England. I didn't care who he was in England, but uh, he was the old enemy. Um, we used to love the West Indians as well. You know, Viv Richards and Clive yeah. Lloyd and some of the bowlers, Michael Holding and Big yeah. Joel Garner. I, I liked uh, Merv Hughes and Craig McDermott impersonations in the backyard as well. Yeah. Got to be done. It was, it was great fun. Yeah, great, great time of life. Did you ever, uh, you know, growing up playing backyard cricket, think uh, bowling is my thing? Um, or, was, or were you always better with the bat? I always loved batting, um, but having said that, I used to have to bowl a lot because Dave would mm. refuse to go out. <laughs> and we used to tape up the tennis ball so you could get, really oh, get yeah. it swinging around corners, and, and that was a lot of fun <laughs> as well. So, um, yeah, bowling, it's hard work, so Cause I'm I, batting. I'd, I'd like to ask you about your bowling a, a little bit later because I know you, you did uh, roll the arm over you know, at, at the highest level a few times. You've yeah. got a few wickets to your name. But yeah. do you often hear of, of people who, uh, who end up being champion bowlers or batsmen, but when they – started off, they would the other way. Yeah, well, I was actually a leg spinner when, yeah. I, when I was coming through uh, district cricket as a junior, a leg spinner who used to bat number eight or nine. Um, and I used to love bowling leggies, but I completely got the yips about uh, 16 or 17. Uh, I think I had a growth spurt and, um, yeah, I just lost it completely. And, and my love was always batting and, and I was always a big billy blocker. So they said, well, you just get up there, face the new ball and take the shine off the new ball and then you can get out and we'll yep. let the real players come in and score <laughs> all the runs. So it sort of evolved that way, yeah. Well, it's a good thing you didn't pursue a leg spin bowling career anyway because <laughs> we're pretty well covered at, uh, yes. at that time of Australian cricket, yeah, weren't we? That's right, yeah. yeah. I think I think most batsmen that I got out, they were probably too scared to get out of me. So I didn't want to play any shots against such a bad bowler. So that's yep. why they <laughs> mm. probably, you know, sometimes that's the worst thing you do. You're better off against a part-timer to try and smash him out of the park. That was your secret gift. <laughs> uh, we're going to head to another break. Mike Hussey is our special guest. Uh, WA's Inspiring Stories is the program you're listening to right here on 882 6PR. You're listening to another edition of Inspiring Stories on 882 6PR for Barra and O'Day, WA's family-owned funeral directors. You're listening to another edition of Inspiring Stories on 882 6PR for Barra and O'Day. WA's family-owned funeral directors. Welcome back to WA's Inspiring Stories. Our special guest is Mr Cricket, Mike Hussey. We've spoken about where Mr Cricket uh, came from. Do you still like it when people call you that? Is it... uh I suppose, do you, do you think in anything of it? Has it, it sort of worn off a little bit now? I still cringe a little bit, I guess. <laughs> I've been trying to pass it on. So anytime someone has a good run, I think I was trying to get Steve Smith called uh, Mr. Cricket yeah, during right. the summer um, when he was scoring so many runs in the ashes. But uh, no, unfortunately, it just keeps seeming to... Like Mark, Mark Nicholas seemed to, seem to enjoy calling you that. So as long as he's in the commentary box, mate, you've got no hope. Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> um, I'm sure you've got loads and loads of, of favourite memories mm. from your time in cricket. But are there any that really stand out for you? Probably the best feeling I've ever had on a cricket field was um, hitting the winning runs in an Ashes Test match in Adelaide. It's it's now called Amazing Adelaide Test yep. Match, and because um, yep. we were just about down and well, out, weren't we? No, 
I remember coming in on day five. England had made 550. We'd made 500. England were one for 50 or 60 on the, you know, after four days. So it's going to be a draw. All mm. the media was saying it's going to be a draw. Um, I thought it was going to be a draw. The public was saying it's going to be a draw. So I remember coming in on day five and thinking, this is going to be a nice relaxing day of test cricket. You don't get too many of them, mm. so let's just enjoy it. You know? mm. and, and I remember coming into the dressing room and Ricky Ponting, Shane Warne and John Buchanan, the coach, they, they said, everyone sit down, we're having a team meeting. And that was pretty rare uh, during a test match to sit down and have a proper formal team meeting. And um, so we sit down and Ricky spoke first and he, and he said, um, right, you guys, we can win this test match, but every single one of us in this room need to believe we can win this test match. And I remember thinking, how on earth are we going to win this test? I was thinking, no chance. We, it's going to be a draw. Because just remind us, what, what did we start the day at? I'll say we, you know, well, Australia. England, England were sort of only one down. I think they were about 70 in front yep. in the second innings. Yep. So, so we were going to have to take nine English wickets yep. and then chase down whatever they score mm. um, in, in, well, in obviously less, less than a day. Mm. So it's, it's pretty unrealistic. Mm. Um, so Ricky sort of sat us down and, and he was saying, we can win this test match. Now, we're going to need to figure out as a team how, what's the best way to go. One way, we can go all out attack. So bowlers. Just go for wickets every ball. We need to get these last nine wickets as mm. quickly as we possibly can. I'll set attacking fields and, and we'll just go, we'll go hell for leather. Or we can go this other way. What, what we might do is we just go patient. We'll just bowl dot ball after dot ball. We'll set a little bit defensive fields and just build the pressure up on England. We might have a bit of luck. We might get a run out and then just try and build the pressure up on England that way. And as a team, we decided to go that way. So, so going out there on day five, we were very lucky. We had the great Shane Warne from one end and he bowled, Two sessions nonstop from one end, and I and I've, I can only remember him bowling one bad ball in that four hours worth of cricket, and then that enabled Ricky to rotate the fast bowlers around from the other end, and and, and we did have a bit of luck. You know, the first uh, wicket we got on the on the last day was um, Andrew Strauss, yep. shocking decision from the mm. umpire, you know, um, <laughs> caught by me in at short leg, um, came straight off the pad, but you know that's the one we got we needed. Then there was a run out, and England were just trying to play it out for a draw, yeah. So. The pressure started to build on them. The belief started to grow in us. And funny enough, we did manage to bowl England out just on the stroke of T or around that T mark. So that left us needing about 160-odd runs in the last session of about 36 overs or something like that. And um, the, I remember feeling this big hit of nerves. Mm. This is the first time on that last day that I actually thought, we can actually win this test. Mm. And I, I, could, I remember starting to shake and thinking, far out, this, is, this, you know, this could happen. Justin Lang has set the tone magnificently. You know, first ball of our second innings, just slogged the ball through mid-wicket for four. <laughs> and you could hear the crowd start to roar. And, and again, England thought, oh, gosh, we're, you know, we're struggling here. And the, the belief sort of started to grow in Australia. And the crowd just started to really build. You know, in Adelaide, they, they just come flock down from the city. Yep. And, and, you know, early in the day, it was probably only five or 6,000 people there. By the end of the day, it was packed. You know, it felt like there was... 100,000 people there. The word was getting around. Yeah, and, and um, I remember being out there and batting and, and the closer we got, the crowd got louder. They were counting down the runs. And I remember with, um, with five runs required, uh, this again getting this huge big shot of nerves thinking I desperately want to be out here when, when we win this test because yeah. this is going to be amazing. And, and then with one, one to get, Jimmy Anderson was bowling and uh, I was um, facing and, and I just was thinking, just come on, hurry up and bowl, hurry up and bowl, you know, and 
you know, hitting that winning runs and running down the pitch again, just pure emotion, just pouring out of yeah. my body. And, um, it was the best feeling and, and seeing my teammates come running onto the field and the, the joy that they, you know, that they could, um, experience. And then also looking in at the crowd and seeing how happy they were and how sad the Barmy army were. <laughs> um, it was just an incredible, incredible test match all around. I bet you grabbed a stump. A memento? Um, I don't think I did, actually. I should have. You should have. <laughs> How many stumps have you got at home that you just, you know, you um, rip out of, the, out of the pitch at the last moment? No, I, I, I didn't really collect too much memorabilia, really. Um, you, you had to be quick to get yeah. in there. Some of the guys got in there oh, real yeah. quick. And, and if you're a, a, a junior player, <laughs> I've got yeah. a few, but no, not, not too many. You seem to have this real knack of, of making runs and, and doing well, getting, getting runs on the board for Australia with tail enders. Oh, yeah. What, what was that about? Was there a secret to um, you making runs and getting the best out of tail enders? It's a good question. I, I absolutely love batting with a tail. Um, I, I think part of it was having a plan. Um, so I'd probably try and take the first four balls of the over and then try and get a single and let them try and survive either one or two balls and then I'd have the strike for the next over. That that was the, the main thing, having the plan. But also trying to instill a bit of faith and, yep. and, and belief in them and say, you know, you, you're doing great, you, you know, and, and, mm. try and, and let's try and annoy the opposition for as long as we possibly can. Um, mm. uh, uh, yeah, so I don't know. I was, it was good fun. It was great to annoy the opposition. <laughs> it was great to, um, yeah, just eke out as many extra runs as we possibly could. In, in a way, I felt less pressure batting yep. with the tail because whatever we get is a bonus at that stage. I remember batting with Glenn McGrath at the MCG against South Africa, and we, we actually put on over 100 runs for the last wicket. And I was playing in a Boxing Day test match, like the biggest test match of your life. Um, like I was just in the backyard with my brother Dave. You know, I was swinging at everything and balls are flying over the slips and it, didn't, it actually didn't matter because yeah. whatever, whatever runs we got was just a bonus. No mm. one was expecting us to get too many more because Glenn McGrath was at the <laughs> with all due respect. Who probably had a batting average of two before that. <laughs> yeah. um, but, you know, you've got to give the tail enders a lot of credit as well. Yeah. Uh, they, they show a they lot They love of, making runs, don't they? They do. They do. Like we ta- love taking wickets, yeah. they love hanging in there and making runs. I guess, I guess their theory is the longer they bat, means the less they have to actually bowl. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, that, they show a lot of courage as well, the bowlers, yeah. to hang in there for that long. Some of your other uh, notable achievements, uh, first to hit the roof at uh, <laughs> what is now Etihad Stadium. Yes. Do you remember that moment? I remember it. I was angry. Because I smashed this ball out of right out of the middle, and um, it hit the roof and fell onto the outfield, and they gave it a dead ball. Is that right? No runs. I got no runs for it, and I don't think I've hit a ball cleaner in my life. Um, it was definitely going out of the park, and uh, yeah, no runs for it. So I was, I was a bit angry at the time. Is there? A, I'm just thinking, wondering if there, I mean, obviously there's a rule if you hit if you hit someone's hat. Yep. Uh, on the field. I think they've changed the rule now. They, they must have changed it now, As soon yeah. as it hits the roof, it's six. So, yeah. yeah, I think Aaron Finch might have hit the bars that sort of uh, yep. come down. Mm. It's lower than the roof. It's not as high as the is. roof. <laughs> <laughs> but I think he got a six for, yeah. for hitting that, yeah. How, how tough was it? Uh, you know, T20, T20 was, I suppose, really still exploding when you were playing. But, uh, mm. you know, balancing the, the way you play from going from Test cricket to T20, you were probably part of the first uh, batch of international stars that had to do that. Yeah. Uh, I, did you find that tough? I think it's one of the biggest challenges for the, the modern-day player is having to adapt between the different formats of the game. Mm. Um, yeah, you, you might be playing a T20 one week and suddenly yeah. you're on a plane, you're, you're playing in South Africa in a Test match. Completely different formats of the game. Yeah. For me, I, I battled going um, from test cricket and test match mode to into T20. 
I found it a little bit easier coming back yep. the other way. Yep. Um, but yeah, there is there is slight adjustments technically, and, and mm. certainly in your mindset as mm. well uh, about how you go about it. And, and um, yeah, it's tough on the players today to have to adapt between the different formats. If you could only have played one, oh, Test cricket's the best without yeah. with, without doubt. Um, yeah. That that's it's the biggest test on you, and it's where you get the most respect from your peers. If you if you do well in Test match cricket then, um, yeah, you, you'll be respected amongst your peers because it tests you on so many different levels. Mm. It tests you tactically, physically, technically, um, emotionally. It, mm. you know, um, it, it just tests you at the highest level on, on so many different levels. Um, T20 is great, but you can have a great day, you can have an average day, mm. and you know, anything can happen. So, um, yeah, Test Cricket is by far the best game. And yet so much money. Yeah. Now in the in the twenty over mm. form of the game, is there too much money? Is it skewing too far towards that uh, that short version? Do you think? I, I hope Test cricket survives. I know in Australia and England it's still pretty strong. Yeah. I, I worry and I fear a bit in other countries um, mm. where Test cricket is struggling a little bit. Um, but personally, I, I think there's there is room for three formats in the game, and, and I think T Twenty actually plays an important role in in the cricket landscape. And, and the reason why I say that is, particularly in Australia, where there's so much competition from different sports, uh, to to have a, a fast game where we can get as many kids, girls, families falling in love with cricket, um, that's going to be really important. Um, particularly when we compete against you know football and soccer and basketball mm. and tennis and golf and, and all yep. the other, you know, great sports that are out there. Um, we, we need a game that we want kids to fall in, as many yep. people to fall in love with cricket, and then yep. hopefully we can introduce them to the other yep. formats of the game. Just to, in reflecting on your time in the game, Mike, I have to ask you about uh, another Mike, Michael Clark, <laughs> uh, a fairly divisive character, I think we can say, uh, at times in the dressing room. Uh, obviously, the uh, the famous bust-up with uh, fellow West Australian uh, Simon Kadich is, uh, is now pretty legendary but how did you go with him i i I wasn't too bad with him you know to be honest i I think um it it was a difficult time for him because he came uh, when he became captain of australia he took over from ricky ponting yeah now ricky ponting's one of the the legends the legends of the game one of the most successful captains and now michael came in as skipper and he really wanted to impress his his way and okay i think at that stage he was quite an inexperienced captain and, and perhaps looking back maybe he would have done things a little bit differently he, he was very strong and you know this is the way we're doing things if you not want to be part of it then you're out see you later and and he was ruthless mm. and perhaps didn't treat people as maybe as well as he could have uh, you know th- through that sort of period um there's a lot of stress and a lot of pressure being an australian captain Huge. as well so you know you need to take that into consideration as well um and, and it must have been really difficult following someone like like ricky um to be able to raise the standards again, which I actually think he did. Uh, he, he he had a big focus on the fitness and yep. the, the skin folds and things like that of the of the players, and, and that was one area that he felt we could improve. Um, but as I said, he was ruthless, yep. you know, as well, and, and sometimes rubbed people up the wrong way with just the way he went about things. Um, as far as on the field, um, I, I quite enjoyed batting with him. Mm. He ran between the wickets extremely well. Um, he was probably just as nervous as I was out there, and and so we we were two stress heads really out there. Mm. But um, but yeah, it, it it was a tough a tough time, and, and I guess the feeling in the team, um, there'd been a lot of turnover. We'd lost a lot of experienced senior players. That that culture was so strong then because those guys we'd been together for ten years, mm. and we knew each other inside and out. There was trust there. The relationships were strong and solid. Suddenly, quite a few retired. We had new players coming in. 
a new culture had to be built. You know, we had to develop new relationships, new trust, and uh, that's going to take time. And so it was quite a turbulent sort of period there for a while. Retiring from international cricket, was that a hard decision for you or did you just know that that was the right time to do it? It's, it's funny. I remember growing up and playing through the game and thinking, and, and I remember hearing Ian Chappell say once, you know, you, you're going to wake up one day and you're just going to know. And I was like, no way. There's no way I'm ever going to want to stop playing in international cricket. If I get the chance to play for Australia, I want to play forever. Yeah. And um, he was actually right. I, I remember I'd been away for about three months on different tours and I was, I was lying in my hotel room in South Africa just before the start of an Australian summer, my final Australian summer. And I remember waking up in the morning and I think, I don't have to do this anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. And I, and I remember ringing my wife back home and saying, I'm, I'm going to retire. I really want to play the Australian summer out um, that, was, that we were coming up to because um, I love the Australian summer. You know, playing in front of your home fans, know the conditions so well, family. Yep. It's, it's just a great summer to be involved in. I said, I want to play the final summer in Australia and then that's it, I'm done. Yep. And my wife, she, she couldn't believe it. She was like, mm. are, are you sure? You know, and then... It's funny, again, you know, as I was saying earlier about just taking the pressure off and just going and playing, that's how I felt coming into that summer. Yeah. I thought, this is it. I'm just going to go and enjoy it. I want my mm. last memories for Australia to be fun. I didn't tell anyone. Um, and I actually started the summer off doing really well. I think I'd scored um, two or three hundreds at the start of the summer. And my wife kept asking me, saying, are you sure you want to retire? You know? And I'm like, yes, I definitely, I've had enough. At the end of this summer, I'm, I'm finished and I'm happy. I'm happy to retire, you know, and um yeah, so I, I knew. I did, I did know, yeah. Yeah. I, I want to ask you uh, after this uh, break about the the strain it can put on your family because mm. it is a more than a full-time job uh, at times. So we'll get into that after the break. More with Mike Hussey, our special guest on this edition of WA's Inspiring Stories here on 882 6PR. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Barra and O'Day, generations of excellence since 1888. You're listening to another edition of Inspiring Stories on 882 6PR for Barra and O'Day, WA's family-owned funeral directors. Welcome back to WA's Inspiring Stories. My name is Tim McMillan. My special guest is Mike Hussey. Mike, uh, off the field, uh, you're a busy man off the field as well. You've got uh, a wife and, and three kids. No, four. Four, four. children. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I know. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's it's, busy. It's, it's great. Yeah, um, it, it was tough when I was playing for Australia. I bet. Yeah, you, you're you're pretty much away. If you're playing all formats of the game, you're, you're pretty much away up to nine, ten months of the year. And were you able to take them with you for parts of that? Bits and least? pieces, really. No, normally um, speaking, they'd come away for one overseas trip per year, so that'd be a two week period, um, all paid for by Cricket Australia. Yeah. So, so that was the family family visitor pick, period. Did you get to pick which one? No, they normally picked it for us, and it yeah. was they normally looked after us well. It was normally a good good place, say England, or or they came to the West Indies once. Sri Lanka once was a good trip as well. Yeah. So yeah, there, there was different trips they could come along, but it was only two weeks out of mm. out of that. And then throughout the Australian summer, um, we'd have Christmas and New Year period uh, in Melbourne and Sydney together as well. So um, it, it was that's that's the toughest thing about yeah. playing international cricket is that yeah. time away from family and t- tough on the player because you miss you miss them and you miss so much of your kids growing up and. Mm. But really tough on the partner back home as well. Really tough. They're doing a lot of the hard yards, um, trying to bring up yeah four children, uh, pretty much on their own. I'm lucky. I've got some good support. Yeah. My wife has around them with parents and parents in law and sisters and brothers and things like that. But um, yeah, for a lot of the guys, it puts a lot of strain for sure. And I suppose as more money pumped into the game, there became a little bit more exposure. 
publicity, that sort of thing. There was this whole wag culture. Perhaps Michael <laughs> Clark is partly responsible for yeah, that as well. Yeah, very much so. Um, a whole wag culture. Did, had, how did Amy go fitting into that? Well, I, I guess, well, Amy is very shy. She doesn't like being in the public eye. What, Loves it then. <laughs> <laughs> but, but we were, I guess we were a bit different and a bit lucky because we had the children. So Amy's focus was always yeah. the children. And yeah. so whenever they were at the games or in the public, uh, she, she was always tucked away on the side. You know, I don't think the cameras wanted to see a, a mother of four children. You know, it was more about, you know, seeing the, the glamour models and, and, and things like that, the Lara Bingles of this world, I guess. But uh, for, for us, we, we were able to just to slide in the background, which, which suited Amy down to the ground. Yeah. And even post playing cricket, I suppose, or, or, you know, retiring from international cricket, at least cricket's still your life though. You're still away uh, a lot. What's your schedule like these days? Well, it's nothing like it used to be. And so, yeah, probably still travel a bit. Um, It's probably down to six months now out of the year, which is great. But, but the great thing is, yeah, you, you travel away for cricket and um, coaching or media or, or whatever it may be. Um, but then the time that I'm home, mm. I'm just home. Yep. I've, I've got no commitments or maybe very little. And, and so I can do all the school runs. I can yep. do the homework. I can do the, um, well, not do the homework, you know, help with the homework, <laughs> you know, do the school lunch boxes. Maths and chemistry is uh, <laughs> probably still your forte, I imagine. <laughs> yeah. After school sport. Yeah. And so I'm there 24 yeah. seven when I'm home. And so I really cherish that time yep. and, um, and yeah, absolutely love it. Can I just ask a couple of quick questions of you? Uh, best bowler you faced? Uh, it's hard to split two. Dale Stain and Murley from yep. Sri Lanka. Um, both start with the eyes. Uh, mm. And Murley, you can hear the ball coming down. It's like, <laughs> as that ball comes down, you don't know which way it's turning. And there's normally four or five chirpy Sri Lankans <laughs> sort of chirping around the bat. So he was, he was tough. Uh, best batter you played with? Oh, it's hard to go past Ricky Ponting. He, yeah. he was phenomenal. Um, just, yeah, he, he was great to bat with as well. The, the opposition bowlers were just scared bowling to him. So you at the other end, you could just, you know, go about your business. But he, he was magnificent. Team you love to beat the most? Well, it's hard to go past England. Yeah. And anything in England <laughs> we like to beat. Uh, Ashes, Ashes is what you dream about as a kid. Yeah. You know, if you want to play test cricket for Australia – you know, I remember staying up as a kid and watching the, the Ashes on TV back in England, you know, with my bag of peanuts and can of soft drink with my dad and brother. Totally. Um, and, and that's where my Ashes dream was, was yeah. born. So yeah. um, to, to play against uh, England and Ashes series is, yeah, a dream come true. Always a bit of spice in the uh, Australia v South Africa um, <laughs> competitions as well. And yet you did a bit of coaching work for South Africa. I did, yes. How, how do you get your head around that? It was great, Flirting with the enemy. And no, it was fantastic because – it was great experience for me as a person and as a coach because yeah. I know the Australian system so well, um, but to work outside the Australian system, see how another country goes about it, um, they are you know similar in a lot of ways, but they're very different in a lot of ways. Mm. Um, culturally, they've got um, a lot of racial divide, you know, blacks and whites and different religions that they've got to be very accommodating with. So yep. I learned a lot from working with the South Africans. Yep. And your time in the commentary box, good loved times? It. Yeah, absolutely loved it. I, I I love coming to the cricket, sitting in the, the best seats, just talking about the game, watching the game. There's no stress, no pressure to perform or anything like that. Um, yeah. I, I think it's a, it's a great job and, and a great way to stay, stay involved with the game. So, I, I, yeah, I really, really enjoy the media side. And do you see your involvement with the game just going on until, <laughs> until you're ready to end it? 
I hope will so. It al- will it always be your life? I, I hope so. I love the game very, very much. Yeah. And um, I guess I'm, I feel lucky to have played, but then also to be able to stay involved in the game. So mm. it, it stops me having to go out and get a real job, I guess. So, uh, <laughs> as, as long as people you know, still want to employ me um, in cricket, then I would love to stay involved for sure. Well, I'm sure... I'm sure the offers will keep rolling in. I'm sure, even if it's just your, your kids' uh, yeah, local team. That's right. We need a coach this summer. Are you free? <laughs> <laughs> Look, Mike, thank you very much for coming in and uh, sharing your story. Congratulations uh, on an amazing career. Thank that's you. Uh, well, that's still going, really, isn't it? <laughs> well, I guess so. Yeah, I hope so. I yeah. hope it continues on. But uh, yeah, no, thanks very much for having me. I really enjoyed it's it. It's been an absolute pleasure. You've been listening to Inspiring Stories here on 882 6PR. Everyone has a story to tell. This one is brought to you by Bower and O'Dane. We look forward to you joining us again next time as we unearth another WA Inspiring Story. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Barra and O'Day, generations of excellence since 1888. When making the double chicken deluxe at Macca's, we wanted to improve on the perfect combo of tender Aussie chicken with cheese, tomato and aioli. So, we doubled it. Chicken and Macca's together and loving it. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Available after 10.30am for a limited time only.